Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we will break down the early results in the 2022 season in the Orioles farm system. But first, we're happy to be joined by a guest tonight. He is a right-handed pitcher in the Bowie Bay Sox rotation. He is Brandon Young. Brandon, how are you? I think he's froze. Uh-oh. I think we're having an <laughs> internet issue there, so we'll try to reconnect. Um, just a programming note, Nick, it's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to uh, finally be back behind the microphone here. Um, a lot of it's chaos uh, to be completely honest right now in this house, but uh, still get to watch a lot of Orioles minor league baseball uh, just with a newborn baby on my lap. So teaching her, teaching her right. Yeah, you have to do a little catching up in the middle of the night and some games every once in a while. <laughs> get sleep when you can. So I think we're Brandon is back with us now. Uh, Brandon, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Sorry about that. <laughs> No worries. Uh, no worries. Um, we know a bad internet can happen, especially uh, on a rainy night like I'm dealing with here in Baltimore. So how would we're obviously just a few starts into the season. Um, how would you assess kind of where you are right now and what do you expect out of yourself for the rest of the year? Um, I expect to get better, um, you know, just stay healthy, stay consistent, and um, honestly just improve every start. Um this year, I just want to not try something new, but just improve in a different way, if that makes sense, um, each time I go out. Um, but honestly, staying healthy and consistent is the main the main goal. We often hear from players that we talk to that that jump from high A to double A is, is pretty significant. I mean, moving from any level to another level is obviously a big jump, but getting to double A is pretty significant for, for prospects. And you've made just two starts so far, but what are some of the bigger differences you've seen in the competition that you faced? Um, that's a good question. And honestly, I'm still learning it, still learning, you know, just two double A starts, but um the players are better. It's as simple as that. Um, there's less mistakes. Um, and then when the, when the mistakes happen, you know, the batter makes us pay for it or vice versa. But um, every play is just made. Every, you know, just easy play. There's not much going on. Uh, um, and guys hit the ball really, really hard. I have noticed that these past two weeks. Guys are swinging. Yeah. Um, the year you came into professional ball was a little bit crazy, right? So 2020, only five rounds with COVID and all that. You know, obviously the Orioles signed you as an undrafted free agent, but 
that was your choice to sign with them. They didn't draft you and, and force the issue, right? So what's what sold you on the Orioles when you made that decision? Um, yeah, that was that was a a long day uh, dealing with you know a bunch of teams and organizations, and it was honestly kind of a college recruiting trip in just one day. You know, every, uh, you know a lot of teams reaching out, trying to pitch their you know ideas how they're going to make me better, how I fit in with them, and just talking with you know most of the Orioles staff, they were you know just really. They, they were really just truthful and like, hey, this is how we're going to get you better. This is what you do well. And this is how, you know, we're going to get you to be a big leaguer. So and just talking with Elias and Holt and Ramsey, all the other pitching guys um, just really made me want to throw for them or just see how I could get better. I mean, that's all we want to do is be a big leaguer. So. Yeah, I swear every every coach or person in organization that we've had on Matt Blood, Brad Seolik, uh, you know, all of them say they shout you out like this is a guy to watch out for. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I appreciate them. They, The Orioles have been nothing but nice to me, and I'm I'm very happy with my decision. We had Zach Peake on the show last fall, and you were one of the players that he mentioned as someone that he likes to talk to, likes to get advice from. He talked about how good your curveball is. Is there someone that you or a group of pitchers that you like to go to for advice? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Zach's actually my roommate now, and we just moved into our apartment. So, yeah, we talk a bunch. Um, Garrett Stallings is a name that pops up. Um, that man is a thinker. Uh, we're both kind of weird in our own ways, and seeing how he goes about the game, goes about the hitters, um, you know, it, and it's awesome to see him back on the mound. So I would say Garrett Stallings. Um, let's see. Adam Stauffer as well. He's one of my good friends, and – He's different, and the way he attacks hitters, I, I enjoy listening to him. Tall guys got to stick together. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He's a giant. <laughs> um, speaking of your, your teammates and other guys in the organization shouting you out, uh, but a lot of your teammates we've talked to also, I like to ask them, you know, if there's one guy, one of your teammates who you're in the batter's box, you don't want to face. Uh, typically your name is thrown out there as somebody <laughs> they, they don't want to go up against. Um, but if you would have – Switch roles for a minute. If you would have to step in the batter's box against one of your your pitching teammates, uh, who's the last guy you wanna you wanna see out there on the mound? Well, an easy one is to say Felix. Um, I got to know Bautista uh, last year in instructional camp. Um, no, thank you. Um, and honestly, I'd say Ryan Conroy. His stuff is a wiffle ball, and even playing catch with him is not fun sometimes. So, I'd have to say him. I love that. Everybody gives the answers we never expect. And so that I absolutely love asking that question to you guys. Yeah. Ryland Bannon apparently gives Spencer Watkins fits. So <laughs> that, that was I have seen, one yeah. too. I've seen Spencer throw. He, he, he's pretty cool in how he goes about. Uh, he was throwing like cutter curveball one day, and it was really cool to see him work with that. Yeah. He pitches tonight. So good luck to him there. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Um, Orioles fans are very familiar with one of your pitching coaches when you were at uh, Louisiana Lafayette fellow alum, BJ Ryan, what were you able to learn from him during your time together? BJ, he, yeah, he, he was awesome. Um, just honestly, the stories he would say and kind of how he went about each day. I mean, he spent over 10 years in the big leagues and being the same guy each day really stood out for me. Um, whether you have a really good game, whether you have a really bad game, you're going to be the same guy each day in the clubhouse out. Um, and that really has stood out in a part of my baseball career. 
for listeners who haven't either had the chance to see you pitch in person or haven't signed up for MILB TV and watched one of your starts that way, how would you describe your repertoire and your approach to pitching? Ooh, okay. Um, I would say my repertoire is just fastball, curveball, slider change. Um, I wouldn't say any one pitch stands out. I'd say they're all good, all I can work with. Um, but I'm, I'm really just having fun, enjoying each day out there. Um, I don't know. I know y'all have seen our infield. They're absolutely studs. So <laughs> to see uh, to see them play the ball, play ball each day. That's that's literally what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just enjoy each day, win, put a good put a good performance out for my teammates. I love that. I think another one of your coach, your college coaches, used to always comment on anytime we post the highlights of you, he'd always comment the uh, best best changeup in the country. Uh, don't forget <laughs> it. He made sure we knew. I can't remember who it was, but he always wanted to make sure we knew that you got the best changeup uh, in the country. Um, I, I don't know about that, but I, pre- I appreciate it. I think uh, I think about one one of my buddies, uh, Austin Parent. I think he still plays there, but that's that's funny. Um. But yeah, from everything we've heard from the messaging from the coaches and player development is pretty consistent from top to bottom throughout the organization. Uh, how has that been? Has that been your experience uh, since you've joined the Orioles? And how does that help you transition from to a new team, a new level? Now it's been you know just over a year and you've already pitched across three levels for the Orioles. Yeah, player development to a T. I mean, that's that's what we're preaching. That's what this culture is. And uh, all of us are hungry. I mean, I think they've done a really good job of one, developing us, but two, just bringing that mindset to us, you know, even in spring training, like every day, it's like, it's not a grind, but like, you're having fun with playing ball, but everyone's, you know, trying to get better. We're trying to be big leaguers, and uh, yeah, dude, I, I really enjoy it. That's great. Yeah, we watch these games every day. We look at the box scores. Not a single game in, in this organization goes by without seeing arms that have potential to pitch in the big leagues. What does that level of competition do for you to help raise your game up a notch or two? Yeah, for sure. That's that's great. Um, everybody wants to be the best guy. Uh, everybody wants to be, the, you know, the number one on the staff. I got, you know, Drew Rom, and I got Peak. I got, you know, all these guys, you know, with me. Um, so I mean, I think that's the good part. I get to go out there, not when I'm throwing, but watch how these guys do things. Uh, okay, he's doing that. I can, you know, jot this down. See, you know, kind of pick people's brains. And Rom's also a guy I like to talk to as well. You know, guy throws, you know, sidearms sometimes. Um, but yeah, the competition's great. Uh, I think a lot of us are going to be big leaguers and just to, you know, throw with them every day is just awesome. Yeah. It was interesting. Something you were talking about earlier where you're obviously facing a higher level of competition at double a yet, as you just mentioned, the infield behind you there is really good and the outfield is pretty good in its own right. So what is it like to have that defense behind you, even though you know you're going up against better hitters? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like you just said, you know, I had Toby out there, Zach, Waddy, Adam Hall, Shane. Um, guys are flying down balls. But to pitch with everyone behind me is is awesome. It's kind of freeing. It's kind of like, okay, now I don't, ha- I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, these guys are good, but I think my guys are better. And so just pitching to kind of my strengths, their weaknesses, uh, a, lot can, a, lot can, a lot good can come from that. How's uh, throwing a Maverick Hanley work out for you? <laughs> Top two, of my favorite catchers ever that I've ever thrown to, and nice. it, he's awesome. Like, let's say I'll, I'll be rolling, I'll throw, you know, fastball, curve, curve, change, slide, or whatever, and I don't have to shake. Like, it's like, oh, I kind of think, kind of think a change here, 
haven't thrown him like 20 pitches and he calls it before I got it. It just the sync, the connectivity is awesome. He's so smart. He throws everybody out and he's just a great teammate. Nice. Them Stanford kids there. Uh, I forget what his major was too. It was like something outraged, like biomedical engineering, something like, yeah, that's I smart could, guy. I can't say it. I couldn't even <laughs> say his major. That's, that's the kind of guy you want behind the plate. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We've heard a, a lot of great things about Bowie pitching coach, Josh Conway. Uh, I think Justin Ramsey got a lot of hype and recognition last year, but Conway seems to be a rising star in the system, I think. And what is it that uh, about him that really stands out in that role? Um, Josh is awesome. He has a lot of feel. Um, he's smart. He kind of knows, he communicates with every pitcher. So, I mean, he kind of knows us, knows what works best for us, knows if we're, you know, why are we doing this today? Like, what, what are we going to get out of it? Um, but Ram- Ramsey as well, I think, I think it's, you know, f- full through the system. Uh, these guys are really good and they love what they're doing. Yeah, obviously we talked about how, you know, you're looking to just get better every start, taking one start at a time. Excuse me. But uh, if you could look into the crystal ball and, you know, you have a nice, healthy, decent season, you know, at least everything goes somewhat according to plan. What what do you see? uh, Where do you see yourself ending up at the end of the season? What's your goal for for this year? Well, I think the goal for everybody is the big leagues. I mean, we want to contribute in any way. Whether that happens with me, I have no idea. But like, like I said, I can take each day as it is. But if I could find this crystal ball you're talking about, <laughs> I, I would love to be in the big leagues for sure. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And we would uh, love to see you there. Now, we do have to give you some credit because um, you uh, recently wore one of our shirts. And Bob saw the photo and immediately labeled it Brandon Young style. <laughs> so <laughs> we appreciate I'm that. buy one of those shirts. I got to get one now. <laughs> We'll send you one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get. We'll have you covered. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have one other question. That interesting thing that popped up in the Bowie game notes. Uh, this this note that uh, you still use the old school flip phone was was the note in the program guide. Um, so not an iPhone or Android guy. You're your old school flip phone there. Well, I, I had an iPhone. Um, uh, it broke, cracked last year, and I was like, you know what? I don't have you know, social media, like I kind of want to stay away from, you know, being on my phone a lot. So why don't I just go to the flip phone and I got it in October and I'm still rocking it. I got it right here, man. I, I love it. It's just simple. It's for me. Um, but you know, it, the maps is the hardest part when I'm trying to find some food or something or I get lost. That's tough. Yeah. Let's say, talk about, talk about freeing, uh, no social media. That's, that's gotta be a freeing feeling that I wish I could enjoy. I think we all can, but it has its ups and downs. Positive and negatives, no doubt. But uh, like, I appreciate what y'all do for us. So that's why y'all have it. Thank y'all. Of course. And uh, Eric Garfield, actually, I don't know if you know him. He's down in Sarasota all the time filming you guys. He texted me before the show tonight and said, uh, what would you do with all that hair if you were a New York Yankee? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, the, uh, The Yankees are one of the teams that wanted to sign me for the undrafted free agents and you know, I, I, it didn't have this long hair, but it was pretty close. And they're like, yeah, that ain't going to work. So You're like next team, <laughs> I don't know what I would do, but <laughs> hopefully I don't have to worry about that. Well, Brandon, we really appreciate having you on tonight. Uh, best of luck to you the rest of the way. And Bowie will certainly be following along and really excited to see what you and this talented uh, group do in Bowie for the rest of the summer. Yeah, man. I appreciate the yeah. kind words. Uh, I'm really excited for what what we have in store for us. Really talented team. 
Awesome. Thanks, man. Hey, thank, thank you all. I appreciate it very much. Of course. Of course. Have a good one. You as well. That was Brandon Young, right-handed pitcher for the Bowie Bay Sox. We always enjoy getting to hear from players firsthand and look forward to having a lot more of that kind of insight and interaction over the course of the 2022 season. So, Bob and Nick, any takeaways from that interview? Just seems like a great teammate to play with, like really laid back, really cool guy. So, I, I completely understand why everybody likes him. Yeah, the, the hair is even better than I thought. Like you I don't, know, right? <laughs> you, you don't, you don't get that that good quality photo stream over there on Bowie Stream and or whatever Binghamton had over this last week. But uh, it was, yeah, Brandon is, is awesome. I it was really cool to talk to him just because, I, I, like I've said, I think I've said it on previous episodes. I don't know what it was, but when the Orioles first signed him, and I went back and watched one of his starts at Lafayette, I I knew this guy could rise pretty quickly in the big leagues, and I admittedly thought. He'd be in like Bowie or Norfolk's bullpen by now, but he's one of the fastest rising, I think, starting pitching prospects in the organization. And we, John Mioli even said like, this is a guy the, the Orioles internally are very high on. So good to see him start off well in double A. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, I think he can stick as a starter. He's got four, you know, good pitches, maybe not one that stands out as like a plus plus pitch, but he can mix it up and he knows how to pitch. So very excited to see how this year goes. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in Norfolk and then is looking next year at maybe making his major league debut. Completely agree. And I understand now why so many teammates of his that we have had on the show have talked him up, not just as a player, but as a person. I was surprised to hear him describe the post-2020 draft process the way it was. We never actually have heard what that was like. And for him to say it was basically college recruitment in a day was not something I was expecting. I figured that a lot of teams had to be in on him. But for it to be that kind of whirlwind of activity with all these pitches coming in um, was not something I had considered before. Yeah, that sounds like a wild experience. Like, how could you even remember everything moving so fast? Yeah, that is that is nuts. I'm, I'm glad we came, out, came away with him in the end. Yeah, I, I would be curious. Uh, should have asked a follow up there. Like, what what do you think would be less stressful, or would you probably enjoy more getting to choose where you go, or you know, thinking like the NFL draft that's coming up in a couple of days? Like, would you rather be a sixth or seventh round draft pick, or would you rather be forced to go somewhere, or pick where you want to go? Uh, so that's that's interesting. But yeah, he I think he chose the right organization. Just maybe a little bit biased there, but I'd say he chose and, right and the right conditioner for sure. <laughs> We'll uh, get into our thoughts on the first two weeks of the minor league season uh, here in a moment. We might have some other topics in store tonight, but uh, as a lot of our listeners know, we do have a Patreon community, and when we have new Patreon members, we like to shout them out on the episode after they sign up, and I'll turn it over to Bob now to uh, give tonight's shout out. Yeah, we got a new patron. Um, We had so many last week. I was nervous. I was going to mess up someone's name. Apparently I did a decent job and our newest patron definitely is making it easy for me. Welcome to the club TC making it easy. And by the way, Tom, I see you try again, try again. (laughs) TC, thank you for joining us. And Tom, we hope to have you in here soon. So we'll start (laughs) off with, uh, I guess we'll just start at the top of the organization where the Norfolk tides are tearing the cover off the baseball scored two touchdowns the other night at PNC Field uh, against the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Kyle Stowers is back on the field, which is great to see. And Kyle Braddis is on the mound and was just named International League Pitcher of the Week. 
So things going well on both sides of the ball right now for the Tides. There's a lot of questions about whether or not we see some of these guys in the major league sooner rather than later. And we'll touch on that a little bit tonight, but this team right now really has everything clicking. And I do want to start with that offense and Nick, I'll have you start this topic out. Kyle Stowers is back off to a hot start. Tyler Nevin off to a very good start there as well. Taryn Vavridge, my Jones are both hitting well. It feels like right now, everything in this Norfolk lineup that can work aside from a few injuries is working. So what are your thoughts on this team? I think first and foremost, I was watching the other day, I think it was actually Sunday's broadcast, and the Scranton broadcaster said that he wasn't sure if or when Norfolk and Scranton were going to play again this season, but he was, said he was fine with not seeing Norfolk again until next year, which um, as someone who has watched Norfolk Tides baseball since I was like five years old, uh, I don't think anyone has ever said that about the Norfolk Tides when they were the Mets or- affiliate, especially not since they've been an Orioles affiliate. Uh, so that is amazing to see. Yeah, it's the guys that are performing well. This is the best part, I think. It's the guys who we are hoping are going to be big league contributors very soon. Like we hope Kyle Stowers can take over a starting job in the near future. And he's got, he's hitting 381 right now with a couple of home runs, only four strikeouts in six games. We're small sample size, blah, blah, blah. I guess we got to say that, or, you know, someone will be yelling at us, but uh disclaimer there, but only four strikeouts in six games. Like that's impressive. Um Taron Vavra is, I've loved Vavra's at bats. I think he had one yesterday that he started out. Oh, two. And then that at bat ended up being a 14 pitch at bat that ended with a walk. Like, just absurd at-bats from Taryn Vavra. Uh, and, yeah, Jemai Jones. I think you know, Jemai Jones, he's got a 426 on base percentage. He's hitting 270, and I think that average, if we had expected numbers, I would bet that expected batting average would be higher because I feel like I've watched a lot of his at-bats that resulted in an out, but I feel like the the staff afterwards is, are looking at that swing. They're looking at that data and that batted ball profile and saying, you did a good job. Like, we're, we're proud of that hit. Um so, yeah, it's these guys we hope make a big impact in the near future are performing very well uh, through these first two and a half weeks, almost three weeks now that, that Norfolk's been playing. I never thought there would be a time when I turn on MILB TV around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening and be like, okay, which game do I, do I want to watch? And it'd be Norfolk first, like almost every time. Like This is very exciting to have a AAA team with a bunch of players just knocking on the door to the major leagues to watch them play every night. And like uh, listener Tony said, there's a talented guy just sitting on the bench every night because there's so many guys out there that are, are playing well. And yeah, Taron Vavra, I mean, the way his at-bats are going, I'm surprised his numbers aren't even better. I mean, he's batting three or four with an 820 OPS and more walks and strikeouts, which is amazing. But he really his approach is great and he's going to be a great one or two hole hitter when he gets to the major leagues, hopefully in the next few months here. And I'm really between all the walks that we're seeing by guys who like Jemai Jones, like you mentioned, eight walks, only six strikeouts, Kyle Stowers, four walks, only four strikeouts. You can go down the list. I really think that Ryan Fuller and company, the Orioles player development have legitimately figured out how to teach plate discipline because look at the major league team even they're like second in the league and walks and it's pretty much the same guys that were here last year and we didn't see you know Jorge Mateo taking these close pitches and and walking a bunch and 
that's the exciting thing for me. Obviously, short sample size, only a couple of weeks, but the early returns are great on that. And yeah, Kyle Stowers, we our live stream. I thought we jinxed him. First game of the season, he gets hit in hand, hadn't played in over a week, comes in, doesn't miss a beat. He's just crushing the ball as much as ever. And he should be up definitely soon this year. And yeah, I don't know. There's there's so much to talk about with this team. It's crazy. Even Yusniel Diaz, we were getting hyped for him. He gets hurt. Luckily, sounds like it's Meyer, but I think we've heard that before. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers go out to to Mr. Diaz sitting on his twenty three million dollar bonus. But uh, <laughs> use Neil Diaz minor, uh, I think, is its own <laughs> language there. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving Norfolk this year. Yeah, I, I think the the way that Stowers is hitting, it's got to be building that anticipation a little bit for when he gets to the major leagues this summer, because I do think we're going to see him. I think it's a question of when and not if, as long as he's able to stay healthy. One guy that I do want to mention is Ryland Bannon. Bannon, to me, kind of looks like the old Ryland Bannon, or at least Ryland Bannon before last year. Uh, Good at bats, good on base numbers right now, hitting for a good average. That's kind of what the Ryland Bannon formula was pre-2021. Last year, he was affected by injury. He had that stretch where I think he hit like 10 home runs in a week or something ridiculous like that, and then regressed before the year ends. Right now, he kind of, to me, looks like the player that we were, you know, back at the end of 2020 saying, you got to add this guy to the 40-man roster this offseason, because otherwise you're going to lose him in the Rule 5 draft. And unsurprisingly, third base at the major league level is basically wide open, not resolved. Um, Do either one of you think that Bannon might be one of the first guys up? Because he's already on the 40-man. I I do. I mean, he's if he's playing well in a few more weeks, maybe even by the time this this road trip ends, when we, and the Orioles come back home, if for, if him Jemai Jones are playing well, I mean, look who the competition is: Kelvin Gutierrez, Chris Owings, who's literally hasn't put the ball in play in fair territory yet this year. He's zero for seven with seven strikeouts and three walks, and Rugnet Odor, um, you know, not exactly like the world on fire for the past three years. Um, so, yeah, I think if they're playing well and the guys that are currently on the field for the major league team are performing the way they've been performing, then I don't see why not. I mean, Bannon was supposed to get his shot last year and it's between injuries and, and bad performance. He just it didn't happen for him. But so I think definitely he will get that chance early on this season. Same with Jemai Jones. You know, he got his little sip of coffee at the end of last year. It didn't go so well after fans were clamoring for him all year. But He's got another year of experience, another offseason with this player development team. And so far, so good. He's hitting the ball hard, and he's has a great approach approach at the plate. So I, th- I think they, they could be up by mid-May. I think there's that chance. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, really, if you want to nitpick at something, like he, he is striking out a good amount so far. But, I mean, that's a small nitpick. And when you're getting on base more than 40% of the time, like I, I think that's, that's okay for right now. Um, yeah, I just think the oblique injuries, like they're – they're a lot nastier and dirtier than I think most people give them credit for. And they're going to linger. And it's hard to say, I think about that as well. And we've mentioned that before, but it's also hard to say, oh, the oblique injury. But then like he went on that 10 home runs in 10 days span. It's like, well, how much was that oblique really bothering him? But I, I do think it did have an impact at the end of the day. So hopefully it comes up. I think the defense has been improved at third base. Uh, when he was in like Bowie, I didn't like him playing third base. Uh, but he has improved over there. Good arm. He's got good range as well. 
is he an everyday third baseman at the major league level? I don't think so, but I think he could fill a, a be a, 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 a trying to think of the word there, a ladder, a bridge, bridge. That's the word. He could be a bridge, uh, you know, to someone else coming up through the system, you know, Kobe Mayo or someone like that, or a free agent signing this off season. If the Orioles want to spend a little bit of money finally, but yeah, I, I could see that as well. And you're talking about just overall approach. I forgot. I looked at this as well. The Tides lead the International League. I'm so glad we have league names back. The Tides lead the International League in with walks, 65 walks. That's five more than anyone else. Sixth in batting average and second in on-base percentage and OPS. So, you know, in the magic, the buzzword is swing decisions. A lot of good ones there from these guys. <laughs> oh, I remember baby brain, Nick. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> two guys that it's kind of crazy we haven't even mentioned yet is Tyler Nevin, who Looked like he had a chance to make the team out of spring training, at least an outside shot. He, he's come in and he's already got 14 RBIs in 32 at bats. He's got an 890 OPS. You know, he's playing well. And even defensively, it's like, what the heck? All of a sudden, yeah. Tim Dijon was right. He could play third base. So shout out to him for that. And also Robert Newstrom. He, you know, he's only got a 231 average, but he's walked seven times compared to six strikeouts. And when he connects with the ball, it's it's the prettiest in the organization potentially i mean he just hits bombs and he robbed a home run that was a great play he made over the wall in left field so yeah the offense is clicking on all cylinders and the pitching isn't too shabby either bob dan Connolly said to not talk about that <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> whoops no no seriousness um nevin does look really good i thought he looked good in camp and i, I one of the struggles i have had with him is where do you fit him into this team defensively, but at a certain point, if the hitters that you're putting out at third base just aren't producing, you got to think about sacrificing a little bit of defense. And I, I'm not saying that you got to go completely in the opposite direction, but if the trade-off is that you have, let's say Tyler Nevin comes to the major leagues and is your number seven hitter, the number seven hitter who gets on base has a little bit of power and is just below average at third base. You got to take that over the third baseman who is well above average defensively, but just can't hit major league pitching. So I kind of wonder if at a certain point, the Orioles decide to make that trade off where, you know what? Nevin might not be perfect at third base, but let's get his bat in there and we'll find ways to, you know, offset that as a year goes on, especially if we could go to a Ryland band in there where, you know, even a Jorge Mateo is better at that position than Nevin is just to roll out some different options and get a better bat in there. Because I think what we're seeing at the major league level right now is this top heavy lineup where one through four, one through five, you know, Cedric Mullins has had some ups and downs, but I think for the most part, those guys are producing the way you would expect. And then just this drop off. So I just have to wonder, do you go in that direction at some point? Yeah. And the good thing is he's never going to play the middle of the field, which is where you really want, you know, your best defenders. It's not ideal, but he's probably not going to play third base every day. He can play DH. He can play first base. He can stand in the outfield. My biggest concern defensively would be when there's a shift and he's got to either play the shortstop spot or, you know, deep in the hole around second base potentially. But yeah, I mean, Gutierrez is seems to only be playing against lefties and Urias is not the best defender at third base either. And, you know, he could be better served as maybe 
you know, the utility guy that can play second, short, and third in a pinch. So, yeah, I would be fine with Nevin getting a shot soon too. Yeah. I just think I haven't watched any of the major league action since opening day, uh, but I, I see everything that goes on. Uh, and uh, I, I do agree that I think we've talked a lot about you know the defense, defense. You bring guys up, help these young pitchers. I think these young pitchers are helping themselves uh, enough themselves so like if we do need to sacrifice some of that defense and get some more run support here then yeah like bring up tyler nevin find a place for him defensively it'll be fine for a couple of nights he's not gonna be an everyday player bring up rylan bannon give him that opportunity uh these are these are fine guys these are much better options than what's currently on the major league roster uh and they're fine to to roam around and rotate for the rest of the year and see what they got i think ben palmer mentioned it last year when you guys talked with him uh this is a great year to see what you've got with these guys because this is the first time where we're seeing a mass influx i think of prospects who are major league ready legitimate prospects so let's see what they got like what do you got to lose this year so literally nothing that's what this year's about right we gotta give them a shot that's why you know you know john means injury uh you know definitely doesn't look great about the decision not to sign some pitchers but i think the reasoning was this is like a huge year because they think they could potentially be a little competitive next year and you're not going to know what you got unless you give them a shot this year. So on that note, we do need to recognize Kyle Bradis, International League Pitcher of the Week. He made his first start on the year on April 12th uh, against Swain Wilkes-Barre, four shutout innings, six strikeouts, no walks, two hits. He follows that up with another outing against Swain Wilkes-Barre on Sunday. Gets his first win of the season, five innings, two hits, one run, two walks, three strikeouts, with getting a lot of ground ball outs, which is not something we normally see from him. The stuff has looked good through two outings. The stuff looked good in spring training. And we have talked a lot since the lockout ended about how, you know, if you had had a full spring training, would Kyle Bradis be in the major league rotation from day one? It feels like now, especially that John Means is out, that the Orioles have to be thinking a little bit more about getting Bradis to the major leagues here, at least in the next couple of weeks. Um, So, Nick, what do you think – we see from Bradis here soon. I mean, so far him and Rodriguez have just been phenomenal. And this it's been comforting because Bradish could have came out and had the struggles, the command struggles in, in these first two starts. And you're thinking, yeah, he's good, but look, he's still walking guys. Rodriguez and Bradish have walked a combined, what two guys in their nine plus nine, 10 innings. They've worked so far this year. Um, and Bradish has really only had one Rocky inning. I think, all season so far two starts but that second inning in his last start and it was 30 degrees they had to clear ice off the field before he took the, the mound so like I, i'll give him that but you don't see a lot of three ball counts anymore with bradish uh so far and i think yeah keep stretching him out what was his last start like 60 I'm trying to remember off the top of my head i mean it was almost 70 pitches yeah. i think he threw in that last start so give him one, I don't know how long are the Orioles on this road trip. I'm sure it's you know a, a week or two, like two series at least. Yeah, three, three series. Oakland, LA, and then off day in New York. So then, yeah, like go ahead and give him two more starts. See if he can get to 70, 75 pitches next start. See if he can get to 80 the next start. And if things keep going well, welcome to the big leagues. And Grayson Rodriguez, I don't think is that much further behind him. If he keeps pitching like this, like he's got nothing else to go. It's just, I think it's the same thing with Bradish. It's just a matter of stretching them out, making sure they can go six innings at this point. Yeah. I think you make a great point and, and add it as well. He asked, do they try to call up Bradish and Adley at the same time? I think there's a chance it might work out that way just because 
you you mentioned the road trip. It's a long West Coast road trip. I doubt you're going to want to bring him all the way over to the West Coast to make his debut, and you'll be home in a week and a half or two. So, yeah, when we come home, I would. That's when I would start to expect these call-ups to start happening. Maybe not all at once, but I mean, like all at the same time. But a little trickle starting in the next homestand. I could definitely see. Let's say Adley gets back into action this week. You know, maybe in two weeks after that, he's ready and he catches Bradish's opening day or debut start and, and he makes his debut as well. And Tony, yeah, Bradish definitely could be up before Adley. That's that's certainly possible. But what I, I truly think Bradish has found another gear. I think he's reached another level of his development because he did not have this command at any point last year, even when he was in Bowie mowing people down. I mean, he looks incredible. He's, his his velocity's up even more. The breaking stuff just looks even better than ever. And he's he's way more in control of himself and around the strike zone. So very excited for when he does come up to to stay up in this rotation. And it's exactly what you want to see between him and Grayson Rodriguez. They're trying to force the issue. They want to come up here as soon as possible, and they're going to do whatever it takes to uh, make the team take notice and get him up here. And I think the fans are rooting for that as well. And just like he went up against Scranton, which you know, Yankees farm system team, like that's that's a pretty good lineup. They got a lot of their top prospects. Uh, they got guys like Greg Berg, Miguel Andujar is in that lineup, and say what you will about some of those older guys. Uh, Ender and Ciarte is in that lineup as well. I think that was a very good lineup. And Bradish, I can't remember who we talked to in uh, last year when they said, you know, facing the same team twice in one week, like that's one thing they didn't like about this six game schedule, uh, home stands, away stands with the new minor league schedule. Uh, he went up against Scranton two times last week, a good lineup, and pitched fantastic. I think the best you could ask for, minus, you know, yeah, you want to see more pitchers, but I don't think you could have asked for much more out of those two starts. So that gives me a lot of confidence. And what we saw in spring training against the Yankees Major League Club, I mean, we got a Yankee killer over here, I think, <laughs> and I'll gladly take that. Absolutely. And we'll move down now to Bowie, where the Bay Sox are 4-4 four and four as of Monday night when we're recording. The one that has been interesting about Bowie is that you've got that kind of mixture of offense and pitching that we were expecting. And the players that, for the most part, the players that you expect to perform well are performing well. Jordan Westberg is hitting the cover off the ball through his first eight games of the season. Gunnar Henderson is right behind him, has not had a home run yet, but the other numbers are pretty good. Um, and then you also had Hudson Haskins get off to a really hot start before a hit by pits uh, cost him a few games. Hopefully that is a minor injury and we'll see him back soon. Brandon Young, who we talked to earlier on this show was off to a good start as is Ryan Watson four scoreless innings so far with uh, through his one outing seven strikeouts. Uh, so a couple of interesting starts here in Bowie. What stands out with the Bay Sox right now? I'll let Bob start with this. To me, it's just, that is like a team filled with the guys I feel like that are going to be big time pushing us over the edge into contention in a year or two. Like that infield is phenomenal. Yeah, Joey Ortiz definitely off to a slow start coming back from injury, but he's he's shown his moments. He's got two doubles, a triple. I saw him hit one off the right field wall when I was there last Sunday. Adam Hall, we heard about how he might be the comeback player. He has been. Gunnar Henderson has six walks and only eight strikeouts over 28 at-bats, and he's batting 286 with a 405 on base. He hasn't hit a home run yet, but we know he's got so much power, and that's coming. Jordan Westbrook, I would love to see the exit velo numbers on him. That guy just hits the ball so freaking hard. After seeing him in person, it was like eye-opening to be that, that close to the field and, and him hitting bullets like that. Haskin, 
so unfortunate. I, I wonder what happened. I thought I saw his name in the lineup on Sunday, and then he wasn't in the game when I checked back later. Yeah. So maybe he was close to coming back, and they decided to just wait with the Monday off day to give him until Tuesday. Hopefully that's the case. And J.D. Mundy even woke up, uh, had a great weekend after a slow start to the season. To me, again, it's just like Norfolk, just a level down, except I think there's a bunch of guys here that will continue to improve and perform even better than they have already. And the pitching staff is just insane for Bowie. I love everybody in that pitching staff. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I almost wondered too, maybe because the weather, like Sunday was so cold. I feel like all four affiliates were playing in like below freezing temperatures. So maybe they were like, let's give Haskin another day, two days, like you said, with the off day. But yeah, Westberg is awesome. Four home runs right now. I mean, he's going to match his total from last year by midseason uh, pretty easily at this rate. That's awesome to see. And coming out of the draft, I think that was one of the big question marks with Jordan Westberg was how much power is he going to have at the next level? And so far, like this season at least, uh, pretty good power. Um, you know, Zach Watson, for me, is standing out uh, just because we mentioned we want to see him hit for a higher average and walk more. And it's just seven games, two series, but he's not doing that so far. He's only hitting 192 with one walk. Um, so like, just like I'm not going to get overly excited about guys who are hot out of the gates and make bold claims yet, I'm not going to do that with guys who are struggling as well. But uh, Zach Watson's performance after his breakout campaign last year, it's certainly something I want to watch. I think he's also made a few highlight reel defensive plays out there in center field because that's that's what he does. Uh but yeah, you mentioned the pitching. Like, I don't. I can't remember if you guys talked about Zach Peak if he pitched before last week's show or not. But I imagine, knowing what little I do know about Peak uh, off the field, I imagine he wasn't too happy at all with that outing. But he really settled in against uh, what I think is a pretty good Binghamton lineup. After he kind of got pounded early on, he settled in nicely. Drew Rom got touched up in his first start, rebounded with what five scoreless and eight strikeouts. Uh, and then, yeah, Brandon Young's had two good starts, not walking a lot of guys, getting swings and misses. So it's definitely hard to hold the excitement in when talking about that buoy rotation. And Zach mentioned the bullpen. Like, I'm glad Brandon mentioned Ryan Conroy because like he's pitched extremely well, had a great outing in Norfolk even. Cameron Bishop has rebounded pretty well in his second outing after he got touched up there. I know Morgan McSweeney got touched up, but um, – I know, Bob, I think Bob, you saw, you said you had saw, you saw him when you went to Bowie. Um, I don't know how the stuff looked to you live, but I feel it's like he good. looks, yeah, I feel like he looks bigger and stronger uh, this year. So we'll see. But yeah, Zach mentioned Ryan Watson. I want to talk about him a little bit more later on, but also Easton Lucas. I give him a shout out. When I saw that, I haven't seen him pitch yet, but um, I don't think he's walked anybody either in three or four innings. Couple of six or seven strikeouts. Remember the return that Jonathan Villar deal. So, yeah, a lot of quality relief arms in Bowie and Norfolk. We didn't even talk about Nick Vespi, who hasn't walked anybody in Norfolk. So a lot of quality relief arms as well at the upper levels of the minor leagues. And you combine that with what we're seeing in the bullpen at the major league level, like this is a, a pretty stacked, pretty deep unit for this organization. Yeah, and even uh, Antonio Velez, who I, I was raving about the last time. I mean, he, he looked great again. Uh, on Sunday through four and two thirds. And then all of a sudden the wheels fell off, unfortunately, but uh, to make his numbers look worse than I feel like they actually are. But yeah, it, it's been fun. Uh, Zach Peake, going back to that, he might not have been happy with that performance, but I was very happy with that. They That team had some hitters and they were jumping on him early. Just if they saw fastball, they were swinging, they were tagging it a little bit. He adjusted. He, you know, he, he definitely hung in there. I was surprised to see he actually finished five innings, and he still didn't have that many pitches. So 
I, I thought that was great. I thought that was a great test and a testament to to his grittiness and just his gaminess that he he stayed in there and worked it through to a, a really good outing. Yeah, Norfolk and Bowie both faced what I think were pretty talented lineups for their level. Uh, Binghamton's got a few good prospects from the Mets system in it. Nick talked a little bit about the lineup that Scranton Wilkesbury has earlier, and that's also a good group. So I think you could take some meaningful things away from last week, even if we are still looking at a small sample size, which is a point I want to bring with Joey Ortiz. I'm looking at his game log now, and what stands out to me is really how all over the place it is because the deep, the first numbers at the surface don't look that good. But then you realize he was combined 0 for 8 over his first two games, followed it up with a 2 for 5 performance, went 0 for 4 in his next game, then had at least one base hit in the next three games, including a 2 for 5 performance at Binghamton, but then followed it up with an 0 for 5 game with three strikeouts on Sunday. So the results are all over the map, but there are times where you kind of see the Joey Ortiz that we saw last year. So... Right now, I'm not taking too much away from it. Uh, it just might be that this comeback from the injury takes a little bit of time. And I I had a hard time trying to figure out how this is going to affect him because it's an injury in the non-throwing shoulder. But I still have to think that has a little bit of an effect on the player when he's trying to come back. Yeah, you can come back in practice setting and look great. But when you're in that real competitive, and believe me, the, the games that Billy have been in have been very competitive you know, that's, it just takes him getting used to again. I feel like he's just getting in the swing of things, literally. Um, so, yeah, not worried about Joey Ortiz at all. Give him a month to get his feet wet, just get his feet under him again, and then, and then I think we'll, we'll see the Ortiz of old. But bare minimum, he's still out there making all the plays on defense. Yeah, he missed 2020, and then he really didn't play much at all last year in Aberdeen before he got promoted to Bowie, and that was only a handful of games before. The injury shut him down for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I'd give him a few more weeks before I'm even oh, a little bit concerned about Joey Ortiz. We we heard when we had Matt Blood on, he mentioned Ortiz came, came back this year stronger, like physically stronger. He looked better physically, mentally. He seems like he's at a better place. So I think it's just a matter of getting your timing down there for Ortiz. Do you want to mention this before we move on and talk about Aberdeen? Um, Adam Hall, also a very hot start. Um, as of Monday, he was sitting there with a 310 average, 773 OPS, four stolen bases, and four attempts. If Adam Hall could hit at least 280 this year, how many stolen bases does he have? 40, at least. <laughs> like This is what I'm saying. When the organization, specifically Matt Blood, when he goes to bat for a guy, he's doing it uh, for a purpose. And there's a there, that's a name that you need to watch closely because he's doing that for a reason. And that's just I, – I watched some of those games that first series, and I'm looking at Bowie's box scores over the last week, and I'm just like, Adam Hall just keeps doing it. And I will gladly eat every word I spoke about Adam Hall because I was ready to drop him off my top 50 so fast uh, – I don't even know if he's still on it or not, but uh, yeah, might have messed up there, and I'm fine with uh, admitting that one. Yeah, hundred percent. Like he's seems like he's. I mean, he's talked about how he's changing his bat path to keep it in the zone longer. I love just hearing that kind of detail about what they're learning. But to me, he's just learning to use his speed to his advantage, and I love it. Like that's a kind of player that 
you know, isn't exactly in vogue right now in the major leagues, but if he can make it work, that's great. I mean, he was in our mid teens to mid to late teens in uh, before last season. So clearly we've been high on him at one point. If he can just get back to being the player that he, he showed he was at Delmarvin 2019, then I'll get right back on, on that bandwagon. No problem at all. And that's someone too. I, we might've talked about this before. I think if Adam Hall breaks out this year and has a really good year in double a, I think that's someone that you can look at as adding to a trade package. When you, if you want to acquire more major league talent, Adam Hall is a prospect. If you're cool with Henderson and Westberg and Mayo and, and what these guys are doing and you see Adam Hall is not really having a, a home at the major league level, then by all means, throw him in a package. Someone's got to find him uh, intriguing enough. We'll look now at Aberdeen. Um, Iron Bird's off to a six and three start. And as expected, they've got a lineup of really good hitters. Dante Williams and John Rhodes might be at the top of that group right now, but you also have Connor Norby off to a very good start. Uh, he hit a home run against Wilmington last week that I still don't think has come down. Um, he yeah, hasn't finished his home run trout either. TT <laughs> Bowens, uh, Picking right up where he left off last year and actually might even be a little bit better. Colton Calder and Kobe Mayo have had their moments at the plate as well. So kind of living up to expectations. Same with Cesar Prieto. But then on the pitching side, you know, we talked before the year about how if you wanted to look at a pitching staff, there might be some breakout guys. This could be it. And so far, you've got a few that are putting up pretty good numbers in the early phase of the season. Uh, Justin Armbruster has eight strikeouts through seven and two thirds against just two walks. Uh, Griffin McClarty has gotten off to a solid start. Gene Pinto, after a rocky first outing in Lakewood, came back out last week and looked good in his second start. And, you know, from seeing those outings, the stuff is still there. I think in that first start against Jersey Shores, they're now called, um, he just maybe got a little bit too amped up. Um, but the stuff itself looked pretty good. So, so far, this Iron Birds team is kind of as advertised. Entertaining games, hitting the ball hard, got some good pitching. So, Nick, uh, looking at the Iron Birds, they're off to a good start. Why do you think that is? And what do you think that their team starts to look like maybe as some of these guys move up? I mean, they, they hit the ball. They hit the ball hard, and they hit the ball really well. That's what's working for them right now. Same thing as, as the Tides. They're second in the South Atlantic League in walks, second on base percentage, and fourth in OPS. So, I mean, this is up and down the organization, except for Delmarva. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Delmarva in a minute. Uh, that's, that's a special case. But yeah, I, I've enjoyed watching uh, Cesar Prieto play. I, I'm curious to see how long he stays in Aberdeen because, you know, he's not walking yet, uh, but he's – He's adjusting pretty well. I think he's hitting almost 300. Uh, and I know Ben Badler at Baseball America actually just he's rolling out his organizational reviews of the international period. So all the top names with write ups, the sleepers in these international draft classes. And he said Prieto's added like 15, 20 pounds since his playing days in Cuba. And that, yeah, he's the second baseman at the next level. And the hit tool is going to carry him to the major leagues if he gets there. But I mean, he's hitting some monster home runs uh, down there with Aberdeen so far. He's got a pair there. Yeah, Connor Norby was fantastic. I yeah, the home run was a work of art. The swing is still a work of art. When he jacked that home run, um, uh, he he made Wilmington's manager so mad. The manager came out to whine about the home run trot, uh, and I, I think he might have said something to the dugout. But well, Connor Norby is uh, number one on my list now for that. Um, but yeah, Dante Williams was a name that 
is intrigued me because I might have said this. I can't remember if I said it on the show or, or what, but watching him in Delmarva, I wasn't as excited as I think a lot of other people were about him. I think he was a popular sleeper pick last year. Uh, I just, the, the swing, something about the swing, I just thought this is a guy who's going to get to Aberdeen and strike out a lot. I don't know how high he's going to reach. He's got seven walks, seven strikeouts. He's knocking the cover off the ball. He's stealing bases. He made a fantastic play out in left field the other day. Um, just like Adam Hall, like I'm eating my words there, Dante Williams, and, and I'm happy for that. Uh, I am curious to know, though, like you mentioned, what is this roster going to look like? I'm curious to know how quickly some of these guys get pushed up because there is that log jam in the upper levels of guys who are playing well. And also, I don't know who would replace them because like Delmarva, when we talk about them, they're so young. I don't think anyone except Daryl Hernandez is re- any time close going to be ready to move up to high A. So that's that's something to I think interesting to think about. Yeah, I think you know a guy like Ryan Higgins could potentially get moved up, yeah, but he hasn't exactly performed as well yet. But he, I mean, he's a college guy. At least there's a little bit of polish there. Yeah, Aberdeen. I feel like every team we're like, oh my god, it's so much fun because it is. <laughs> um, we didn't even mention TT Bowens, who is batting three ten with an OPS over a thousand. Um, he's all of a sudden seven walks to nine strikeouts. Like, what is happening in this organization? Player development? What is that? Um, <laughs> It's, it's so much fun. Dante Williams is just such an all-around good at everything. Maybe not great at any one thing, but just very good at everything. John Rhodes, I'm just so happy to see him do so well, start out this year after the interview I had with him, rooting for him all the way. Prieto has been a ton of fun, 297 with two huge bombs. Norby, as you said, quickly becoming one of my favorites on the infield. And there's been some worry with Colton Kowser and Kobe Mayo, which to me is completely unjustified. It's been nine games, 35 at-bats each. And what I really think is kind of making people a little more worried than maybe they typically would be is everyone else is doing so darn good throughout the entire AAA, AA, high A, a couple people in low A, not as much, but as we mentioned. Um, yeah, the strikeouts for Kowser, I honestly – I mean, it is a lot. It's 17 strikeouts in 35 at-bats. Don't get me wrong. But we know that he's adding muscle to his frame over the offseason, learning to hit the ball with more power. I'm sure they're making adjustments, and he's got to get used to them. Or maybe it's just a slump, and it's been nine games. And I believe that Adley Rutschman had one walk to 11 strikeouts in his first week of the year last year, and we know how that ended up. So definitely not worried about that. And Mayo, I think his numbers do not – tell you the story of how well he's played this year. To me, he looks confident and comfortable at the plate. When he hits the ball, he hits it hard. Uh, I, I'm i very happy with what Kobe Mayo is doing, especially at his age at that level. Yeah, I'm not really worried about either one of them, but I did, and Bob, I'm glad you mentioned the strikeout things. It is something we have gotten questions about from listeners, which is, are you worried about the strikeouts with Colton Kowser? Right now, Kowser threw 41 plate appearances at Aberdeen has a strikeout rate of 45.5%, um, which is high for any player, but especially one that you know generally has does not strike out a lot. We saw that in his college career at Sam Houston. We saw that carry over to the minor leagues last year. The rest of the numbers to me are okay. You know, For nine games where it's been some ups and downs, I can take the rest of his numbers and be fine with it. I think maybe what has some people a little bit worried is that if you look at the fan graphs glossary, which I know I'm sure a lot of our listeners and I know that I rely on a lot to kind of decipher these 
advanced metrics, suggests that strikeout and walk rates tend to stabilize about 60 plate appearances. And Kowser will get to 60 plate appearances this week, most likely. He's 19 away right now. So we know I, I don't expect him to strike out even 30% of the time this year when all is said and done. But we also know that now the strikeouts are probably going to be a little bit higher than we expected. Do Are either one of you concerned about that? Um, and do either of you think there's a reason that it could be tied to something specific? Bob mentioned him maybe putting on some muscle. Perhaps he's trying to hit for a little bit more power. But are either of you concerned by it? No. I, Vivek had a good comment there. You know, Maybe it's trying to hit for more power. You know, We don't know what exactly they're working on, so it could just be a new game plan for Colton Kowser through these first couple of weeks to try something new, try something new mechanically. Uh, and maybe it's, it's not working yet. Uh, or they're still tinkering with, with things behind the scenes until he finds something that, that works. He's facing better pitching now. I, I think we had someone, I think reach out, uh, a former ball player and was like, I played across three pro levels uh, and there's an adjustment period that everybody's going to face and to not be concerned, but with Colton Kowser's strikeout total right now, he's still getting on base, like a 341 on base percentage right now in those nine games. And when he hits the ball, he's hitting the ball extremely well. So I also think we were just really spoiled with his performance last year because it was unbelievable. Uh, And same thing with Kobe Mayo. I think Kobe Mayo, I don't know if any other prospect in this system other than Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman had the hype uh, surrounding him going into 2022. And Mayo is just 20 years old still. So I'm not concerned about either of them. If Colton Cows are still striking out 45% of the time in June. Yeah. Let's, let's have a conversation about that then. But for right now, it's the Orioles took him because he's one of the best hitters in that draft class. Uh, and so far, like he, he's proven that he's a pretty darn good hitter at the pro rank, in the pro ranks. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm not worried about either one, especially the thing with Kowser. Like, we don't know. I mean, maybe this is wrong, but maybe they're just saying, hey, go out there. Don't worry about strikeouts. Try to hit the ball as hard as you possibly can. Try to get comfortable in that killer attack mode. I don't know. I mean, maybe there is an excuse for, or not excuse, but a reason for why it's a little bit elevated right now. And and we're never going to know, you know, it could, this player development, I feel like we know by now they know what they're doing. They have plans, they put them in place and not, especially when, with the minors, with your prospects, you know, performance, the stats on the page aren't exactly everything. It's, they just want to see you improve and they'll do whatever it takes to get there. Or like I said, he could just be adjusting to this level of pitching and he's struggling right now, but either way, not concerned. Yeah. If it's the end of May and it's, a 30% strikeout rate or higher. Okay. Like Nick said, we can have that conversation then, but it's, it's nine games. It's nine games. Exactly. I agree with both of you. And we'll look at Delmarva now. And there's kind of a mixed bag here when you look, because Daryl Hernandez is off to an incredibly hot start there. I, you could argue as I probably would that in another organization without as much depth, he would be in high A right now. Unfortunately, somebody had to be the player that went back to Delmarva to get regular bats. And unfortunately for Daryl Hernandez, it was him. But he's showing right now that he belongs at a higher level sooner rather than later. Isaac Bellamy is off to a very hot start down there. 11 strikeouts compared to three walks isn't great, but hitting for power, you like to see that out of the 20-year-old in low A. Missy Aldeson is hitting well, isn't walking right now, but again, hitting pretty well. 
Then you, you look around the rest of the lineup. No birth Romero is off to a solid start. But then you've got a few guys in here that are struggling a little bit. As Nick said, though, this is a really young team. And it's not the kind of team that the Orioles are used to seeing at low A. Because for the first time, a lot of these players are playing in the United States for an extended time period for the first time and outside of that complex league environment. And that has to be a major adjustment for them. Um, so Delmarva, you know, despite you know some of the ups and downs offensively, four and five through nine games is not a bad place to be. They've had some good pitching performances along the way, even if the overall team numbers aren't the best. So maybe while the Shorebirds team is not off to a great start, there's a reason to believe that there is some promise here to get better, and they've lost some close games too. So you got to factor that in. Yeah, <laughs> this team, it it has to be the youngest Delmarva team of all time. I mean, the vet, the the veteran, Daryl Hernandez, who's barely 20.5 years old, and Ryan Higgins, who's 22 out of college and had a grand total of eight at-bats professionally before the season started. So, yeah, it's a just it's a different – recipe for Delmarva than the rest of, of the, of the organization. But to me, it's still fun. Like Isaac Bellany, Norberth Romero, man, these guys are, are just showing out right now, given the opportunity that they've had in her eyes. I, it's probably the person who's made me the happiest so far this season, to be honest, just because we heard, you know, he was upset with the, the assignment and he didn't sulk. He didn't let it get him into a slump. He didn't let it bother, bother him on the field. He went out and he's killing the ball. He's absolutely destroying it. He's only got four strikeouts over 36 plate appearances. He's walked twice, homered twice, doubled twice, hidden for average, hidden for power, two stolen bases. He's like, you're going to promote me and you're going to promote me now. And and I love it. I just absolutely love that for him. So despite, you know, the the win-loss record and maybe some ugly lines, especially Isaac DeLeon, who I was excited to see. Unfortunately, he's batting 042. After the first nine games, again, still only nine games, but that's it's it's going to happen. They're all teenagers on this team, so but still fun to watch for me. It's to me, it's the most interesting because uh, I'm a sicko and we'll sit there and watch that Lynchburg broadcast uh, and try to watch these guys. But like you mentioned, yeah, 18, 19, 20 year olds who are playing their first full season of pro ball in affiliated ball, like in. They a lot of these guys missed a really critical year that 2020 season. I think it was Kyle, when we had Kyle Glazer on. He mentioned it was those guys in the DSL and the FCL, those teenagers who missed 2020 that were probably impacted the most. Uh, and so, and also last year, like yeah, they might have been in the FCL, but you got the weather. I think COVID was still an issue down there. They're still dealing with that, so you didn't get a whole lot of at bats. I feel like so. This roster is a lot of high ceiling or you know moderate ceiling, but super risky prospects who just need innings and they need at bats. And I know uh, Sam Jelinek, the the voice of the Shorebirds, uh, shout out to Sam. Uh, he put out a couple of tweets uh, earlier this evening, and he was very uh, uh, having the newborn baby brain again. <laughs> um, he was uh, uh, showing uh, great support. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but uh, <laughs> of what the coaching staff, uh, Felipe Alou Jr., the manager, uh, the Orioles put the right guys in place. And apparently, according to him, the Orioles and the Delmarva coaching staff have done a fantastic job of helping these young international guys adjust 
to ball in Salisbury, Maryland. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's a culture shock for a lot of these guys as well. But for me, it's the pitching staff. Like oh, yeah. Raul Rangel, Moises Chasse, Juan De Los Santos, 18, all three of those guys are 18 or 19 years old. That's absurd. They've allowed what two have a 16.2 combined innings, just two earned runs between the three, 20 strikeouts. You can, when you watch, like they're clearly all very raw, but uh, Chase 6'1, this they're listed heights and weights now, but Chase 6'1, 200 pounds. He, he looks, you know, thick in the lower half. Um, I never thought I'd say that talking about baseball players here, but it, it works. Uh, he's thick in the lower half, and I like it. Um, Raul and Hell, like he's listed at 6'4, 200. I think 200 is um, heavy. Uh, I think I don't. He might be like a buck seventy. I think, but that's again terrible Lynchburg broadcast. He's so lanky, but so much room to fill out there. And De Los Santos is listed at six three two fifty. That's just a big bodied kid. All three of those guys, mm. different shapes, different heights. Um, and to watch them pitch was, I've been waiting for it, and it was amazing to watch them play. Uh, and yeah, you, you mentioned Deson, and Deson is also a guy who's received a lot of hype from 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 Sam Jelinek. And the Lynchburg broadcast was like that. Desan's been impressive. He looks more mature at the plate, I think, physically. And you just see it. You, it's like night and day difference. When you watched him last year, it was very clear that the game was way too fast for him. That's not the case for him this year. And I think I mentioned in a daily recap episode for patrons the other day that I think he is really like, for lack of a better phrase, on the verge of a real breakout where you're going to see the power, you're going to see the walks. And you're starting to see why guys like Kobe Perez in the organization are pretty high on Deson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Deson is exciting for sure. I think he's a go- actually going a little bit under the radar somehow, <laughs> a little bit, for at least for me, as far as when I'm I'm looking at Twitter. I don't, I don't see much mention of him, but people should be paying attention. And, yeah, like Eric said, Delmarva is tough to turn off with their pitching right now. Oh, my God, these young these kids coming up. It's very Houston Astros, like Vivek said, Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez, Jose Arquiti. Yeah, this is what this team is putting into place. This is why you can't say the cover is bare. Where's the pitching going to come from? We actually have an international pipeline now, and they are turn showing up with these guys that the ball is movement, moving like unbelievable. They're already throwing in the low to mid 90s with potential to go way higher. Wander, excuse me, Juan De Los Santos, where did he come from? This kid is incredible. Like they, they're developing. I, I think this is where the, the player development on the pitching side magic is going to come in when they get these guys 16 years old, 17 years old, and can really just instill what they want in them from the very beginning of their journey. And uh, man, it's so exciting. I think you're going to have, just think in a year or two, you're going to have these guys 20 years old in high A, double A, throwing just wicked stuff. Gene Pinto's already on that path. It's so exciting. And like, these aren't, there's some big names. Deson is a, a top, I, I consider him, you know, a top prospect. I can't remember where he is on our list. He's top 30 guy on our list. Um, you don't see a lot of the top, top international prospects here in Delmarva. Like this is just the first kind mm-hmm. of initial group here. There's some, there's some Dan Duquette guys still in this organization that are in Delmarva right now. I think Bellany's a Dan Duquette guy. Um, so we aren't even talking about the, the top international talents yet. And there are, I'm not saying every single one of these guys in Delmarva is great or going to make it past Delmarva, but there, I think there are a small handful of real gems among this group. 
Yeah. Um, I put uh, in the patron WhatsApp group, I was joking around and did that uh, jealous girlfriend meme or whatever. I had on the verge looking at Moises Chasse with Gene Pinto all pissed <laughs> off at us um, because he looked that good in that performance. And obviously we still love Gene Pinto more than anybody. But uh, yeah, you're going to have guys that come out looking like that. And then you're going to have your, you know, I know he's he was not international. He was a draft pick, but Juan Carlos Yeras, who was released from the organization after not getting an out and walking seven batters barely through a single strike this year. So, you know, these, these high upside guys, some of them pay off, some of them don't, but it's just exciting to watch the magic happen and see that development. So we're going to take a few minutes now and talk about something that's kind of more baseball wide, because we did see it play out in the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre-Norfolk uh, game on Friday night. And I didn't see the end of that game, so I don't know what the final total was. But not far into that game, two batters had automatic called strikes on them for not getting into the box on time. Baseball America ran a piece uh, over the weekend talking about how pace of play rules are affecting the minor leagues. And I'll read from an excerpt here. On their first day of enforcement, the new rules appeared to cut more than 25 minutes from the average game time. Last night across the minors, the average game time for a nine-inning game was two hours and 38 minutes in the median game time with two hours and 34 minutes. For the previous week of games, the average game time for a nine-week game was three hours and four minutes, and the median game time was two hours and 59 minutes. Pretty stark difference right there. One night, but we also know the pace of play has been a hot-button issue, or maybe I should say more the measures to try to speed up the game have been a hot-button issue in baseball for several years now, but after the new CBA and some of the rules are being instituted at the higher level of the minor leagues this year, we know they're coming to the major leagues. There's really no stopping it starting next year. So, Nick, you actually tweeted some praise for the enforcement of the rules uh, in Friday's game. So I wanted to get your thoughts about this. Yeah, I, I guess I missed the fact that like that day was like, this is enforcement day uh, across minor league baseball. But it's it's awesome. Yeah, the clocks have been there for years, but you might have seen two, three across a full season where umpires actually call it. So I've already seen some pushback there from like coaches and scouts and some players online uh, about enforcing these rules, but I think it's fantastic. Um, you don't need to step out of the box every after every single pitch to adjust your gloves or or kick at the dirt. Like you don't need to take sixty seconds to pitch for each pitch. Uh, was it is Kinley Jansen? Was Kinley Jansen get like the he had the umpire like stand out front of home plate in front of him the other night? Um, like because he takes like five minutes uh, to to throw uh, half an inning there, like. I don't care. We talked about this when we were mentioning the new rules for 2022 season. I don't care if a game is four hours or five hours. If it's a good game, I'm going to watch it. I'll watch three straight days of five-hour baseball. If it's a good game, just keep the game moving. And Cooper, in that piece at Baseball America, he actually said, like, this is probably going to – he didn't – I'm not – I'm paraphrasing here using my own words. And he's probably going to piss off the traditionalist, right? Um, you're changing the game of baseball. But clearly, it only – removed the dead time in these games i think he said the number of pitches that were thrown and the number of at bats that each team had were virtually the same in these games compared to the week previous but you cut an average of 25 minutes off per game even some sub two-hour games in the minor leagues like i think it's awesome i think it's better for the game and i would think players would like it if you could extra 30 minutes a day especially in your evening like i would completely enjoy that speaking as someone with like 
to a toddler and uh, one week old now, like an extra 30 minutes a day goes a long way. Um, I think it's fantastic. And I hope it is continues to be strictly enforced. I think in that tides game, it was like five or six by the end of the night. And it was usually honestly on the hitter. I think it was more on the hitter than the pitcher, but yeah, give me all of that. Yeah. I love it as well. Um, it's exact. I, I don't know if I can say any better. It's not about the time of the game. Like, oh, I want this game to be over quicker. No, I just want. Come on, get on with it. Get on with the Steve Traxel over there taking <laughs> so long in between pitches. Like, you know, if you want the balance of these hard throwing pitchers to go a little bit more even, I think these guys are taking time intentionally to build up a little more stamina so they can go up more ninety five one hundred percent effort on every pitch. And I think it's a good good thing for for that as well. So. Yeah, I'm all about it, and hopefully this trickles up to the major leagues sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think we are going to see it in the major leagues more next year. You know, there's a lot I can say about Rob Manfred as commissioner, and most of it's not going to be very good. But I think it's been pretty clear since he came in that speeding up the game, and I think with the pits clock as the way to do that, has been a priority for him. So I fully expect that – now the CBA did kind of open the door and give the league a little bit more latitude to put in these types of rule changes, you're going to start seeing it next year. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out in the minors the rest of the way for this season. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, Kevin Goldstein, RIP to Chen Music Podcast. Fridays just are not the same anymore. Um, he talked about this, I think, on an episode and said, like, I was, he was at an Arizona Fall League game where there were, like, 25 walks and, you know, 30 pitching changes because, you know, it's the AFL. Uh, and yet the game was still, like, two hours and 15 minutes. Like, that's good. That's awesome. Like, who would not want that? But... Yeah, it, it's interesting to see the, the pushback. I, I know, I think Ben McDonald's obviously got, got pretty vocal about this on Twitter the other night. It's like, let's just get rid of this dead time. That's all we're asking. So we'll move on to our final segment now where we like to highlight players outside of our top 30, um, whether it's something they did in a game recently, uh, something they've done over the past week, or maybe you know just something we saw in an individual play that we liked. The idea is to try to shout out players that listeners may not get to hear about or read about regularly. And since this is his first opportunity to participate in the segment this season, I'll start with Nick. My favorite segment. Um, I'm going to go hitter pitcher. I'm going to hitter first, Colin Burns. I think he cracked our top 50 last year. Uh, So I was kind of shocked to see him on Aberdeen's roster. We talked about Hernandez. I think we all assumed he was going to be there instead of a guy like Burns, but and Burns doesn't get all the playing time with an infield of Mayo, Norby, and Preto. It's going to be hard to get at bats, but he's hitting 280 with four doubles, a couple of stolen bases, uh, no walks, but just three strikeouts. And I've said I don't think he has a tool that really stands out, but he's pretty decent at pretty much everything. So I think he can be scrappy enough to kind of work his way up through the system. Um, I think the game that I really watched closely, he had uh, he pulled a double, and then the next at bat, he sent a double the opposite way. So if he keeps doing that, he's going to force himself into some more playing time. And I don't know if, if one of you guys did the daily on this, but did he pitch and catch and do all kinds of stuff in a game the other day for Aberdeen? Did I miss that? or I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> so people were tweeting us like, did Colin Burns really pitch in that game? Uh, I, I don't think he did. But um, anyway, my pitcher, my real pitcher there is Ryan Watson. Zach mentioned earlier, like as much as I'm all about, 
trade trade every major league reliever you got on your roster. Uh, I love minor league relievers and minor league bullpens, and Watson is standing out. He went undrafted last year out of Auburn or in 2020 out of Auburn. Four innings, no hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. Uh, I think he's the real deal. And obviously the Orioles are pretty high on him for him to begin the year in double A. So good start for Ryan Watson. Yeah, absolutely. Those are definitely some great picks there. I, I'm Del Marva is like my focus apparently for for these things so far. Um, I'm going with Nolberth Romero as my hitter because you know he was him and Ilya Prado came over in the Andrew Kashner trade was Elias's first real trade I think with the Orioles and then it's kind of like with the 2020 season going missing and then FCL not starting until later in the season and Prado still hasn't played since. 2019 due to injury he should be back soon apparently uh you know Romero I feel like he he just kind of gets overlooked and I had an idea of him coming into this year that has already changed with one swing of the bat that monster home run he hit I didn't know he could do that like period I mean that was absolutely hammered he is playing really really well I'm not even sure he was in line to get in as many games as he has so far. I think he he got injured at some point last week. Somehow he came out of a game. Hopefully it's minor. He can get back out there because he's batting 429 with a 1,200 OPS, only two strikeouts, and he's got two walks. He's got a double, that monster home run. Obviously, we know he can play defense, bat, like third base, second base. So I'm just – my eyes are open now to Nolberth Romero. So – now I will be paying more attention to him, as should everybody else. And for the pitcher, I'm going with Carlos Tavera. Um, he had a decent start his first time out, but then this last time I thought he looked great, and I'm really high on him. Uh, I think he has a chance to be the first person to be promoted from the Aberdeen rotation to the Bowie rotation, and I think this is a, a guy that's going to be moving up our rankings pretty pretty quickly over the next year or two. Yeah, I like the picks from both of you this week. I'm going a little bit different path because I don't know that either of my players really have very good numbers on the surface, but I think when you dig a little bit deeper, you have to be happy with what they're doing. I'm going to start my hitter is Johnny Reiser. Uh, between Kyle Stowers and UCL Diaz missing time with injury, I think Reiser has been exposed a little bit more early on at the AAA level than was expected. And right now, you know, through 11 games there, he's batting 162, which obviously – is not good, but he did homer a couple of times over the weekend. He's got four homers so far at Norfolk. And the, the two things I would say in his favor are, number one, you know what you're getting. He's an athletic guy who can play all over the outfield. He's played center field and right field for them very capably this year. And the other thing was that last year at Bowie, we saw him really get into a slump for the first time in his professional career. And he managed to dig his way out of it, end the season strong, Got to AAA, and I think that as time goes on, he's going to show why he's such a good player to have in his organization. Just good upper-level depth that can do a lot of things, and it's good to have in you know, the occasion that your prospects like Stowers and Diaz go down. So overall, even if the batting average is not high, I'm kind of happy with what he's doing there. And the other shout-out is to Cameron Bissup, who – Bounced back from a first outing on April 9th that was a struggle, four runs in two innings, to pitch really well last week in Binghamton. Four innings, four hits, one run, one walk, six strikeouts, earned the save in that game. Bishop, had he not missed so much time with injury last year, I firmly believe would have made it to AAA. 
Uh, he was pitching that well at Bowie. So I think for him, this is an opportunity to reset and get back on track. And he's good at those kind of long outings out of the bullpen. He can go three or four innings out of the pen and be pretty solid. Or he's a guy that you can turn to when you need a spot start and he'll do a good job. So I think that Bishop uh, is going to settle in here soon and we might be seeing him in Norfolk's bullpen before too long. I think so too. Uh, and the thing with the riser, yeah, the average and home run, the home runs are just phenomenal. Uh, I think he'll get the average up a lot of ground balls. I was looking at his stuff earlier today. Uh, that will change, but someone commented, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was a uh, Steven Adams, Steven Adams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when he's like, I, hold on. Like I'm not comparing him to Bryce Harper, but like the swing kind of looked like Bryce Harper in his opinion. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't think Riser swung the bat like that last year. No. Yeah, this is a new swing for Johnny Riser, and so that may be what's attributing to the low batting average right now because clearly it is about launch angle and sending balls into the Elizabeth River in Norfolk because it's it's a beautiful swing now this mm. year. It is a totally different swing, and I love it. Um, if he can perfect this swing, he, he might be all of a sudden like a 30-homer guy like – Man, that was those those home runs were not cheapies. I mean, he got all of them, and they were high and deep. And I, friend of the show, come back once you're in the majors hitting 35 bombs. Let's go. So that does it for our look at the first two weeks of the minor league season. We'll be back with more Orioles con, Orioles minor league content next week. Uh, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds. Also, be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest articles there. Before we do wrap up, though, we do have a Small ask of our listeners. Uh, we know you're some of the loyal, most loyal and best listeners out there. So we do have a small favor to ask of you, and that's to vote for us in awards that we're nominated for. I'm going to turn that over to Bob to uh, kind of give the pitch here. Yeah, Maryland Podcast Awards. Uh, we were nominated last year. Didn't come away with any victories. So we'd like to rectify that this year. There's more categories. We're nominated in more things. Apparently we're nominated three times in the best podcast category. So uh, no offense to them. They got to get things together over there, but yeah, I'll post a link uh, in the show description. If you could just go over there, click a couple buttons to uh, vote for us as winning. And especially I would love to win the social media slash Twitter um, award just because Nick does an incredible job with that. And I think that's a huge part of, our brand and it would be nice to be recognized for that at least. And yeah, would be very appreciated if you could do that. Yeah. And I, I said, I think if we win something, we got to do some type of giveaway, more giveaways, whether it's cards, I got some extras here. I don't know. I know Bob's loaded. I don't know. I won't speak for you, but I'm sure we can come up with, with something if it's cards people want or uh, something from our store, or I even suggested you maybe for a non-Patreon member, Maybe Patreon members get something you know, extra special. But uh, for anyone who's not part of our Patreon, give you a free month to try out the Patreon, see if you like it. But yeah, vote for us. Yeah, apparently I just won a Twitter contest for a signed Bobby Witt Jr. baseball and a signed Julio Rodriguez baseball. Um, maybe I could do some with them. I don't know. I don't know. They're okay, decent congrats prospects. Congrats on that haul, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. Uh, we'll see if it shows up in the mail. Well, thank you for Brandon Young for joining us on tonight's show. Uh, for Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.